to open your Bible to the 10th chapter of the book of Exodus as we continue our study through the book of Exodus, chapter 10. And all day long today, we have, um, or we are looking at this issue of God's warnings to the waiting, God's warnings. There are six warnings that the Lord issues to people who are simply waiting to do what they know they ought to do. And I imagine there's some folks here tonight who know they ought to join First Southern, and you've been waiting to do that. Well, tonight is the night to do that. It could be that there is um, some other issue in your life. You may be a member of the church you're supposed to be a member of, and you're a believer in Christ, and you don't have any question about that. But the Lord's been dealing with you in some specific area of your life, maybe your devotional life, maybe your stewardship, your giving. Maybe some habit. You've just messed around with this thing for years and you keep saying, I'm going to overcome that. I've got to get God's, I'm going to win in that arena. And you just keep losing and God's been dealing with you about that. In fact, you may have come to the point where you've just quit fighting. You've just succumbed and you just decided I'm, I'm not going to ever win. So I might as well just give in to it. Maybe that's what you've done and you know it's wrong. And God's been convicting you about that. Maybe it is um, something that has to do with your, your morality. There may be some evil that is in your heart, some wickedness, maybe sinful thinking, maybe uh, something you do, some place you go, some relationship you have, something you read, something you watch. And I don't have to stand up here and convince you because you already know that God's speaking to your heart about it. He's been doing that for some time. For some reason, it has appeared to you that it would be more fun and more enjoyable to just go ahead and do it than it would be to obey God. And you even know that the scripture has some pretty significant things to say about hardening your heart toward the Lord. But you're still in that sin as of this service tonight. Uh, maybe there's something good God has been calling upon you to do. Maybe God's been calling you into the ministry or maybe he's been calling you into the ministry of going next door to your neighbor and witnessing to your neighbor, sharing your faith with someone taking up some ministry here in the church. And God's been speaking to you about that, but you haven't done it yet. You just, you just keep putting it off. You just keep thinking, well, you know, it'll be better. Well, maybe when the weather gets better and we're standing out there talking, or, or maybe, you know, if I get things put together a little bit, I can go and do that thing the Lord's called upon, and you haven't done it. And for some reason, putting it off has, in your mind, been a better option than just going ahead and obeying God. And perhaps you've never even really considered the consequences of hardening your heart. That word harden in the Bible is an interesting thing because interesting word, it, it refers to that remarkable capacity your skin has of resisting irritation by building up successive layers of skin, a callus. So you see every day you wait leaves you one more day to repent of but one less day to repent in. And you've just thought, you know, it's just not any consequence to put off obeying God. And so today we are looking at six warnings to the waiting. Six warnings to the waiting. That's the title of the message. And our scripture text is found in the 10th chapter of the book of Exodus. The entire text begins in chapter 5, verse 1, where Moses confronts Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, God has a message for you. Let us go. And then what ensues is uh, Moses' discovery that doing the will of God is always not met by being number one in the polls. Moses loses favor with Pharaoh, who literally explodes, and then he loses favor with the children of Israel, who get pretty irate with him. 
over the fact that his being there has cost them some more effort, some more trouble. And Moses talks with God about that. He's got enough sense to know that God's the one who decides these things. So he talks with God about it. And God says, don't worry, I'm in charge of this. And then God says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And last Wednesday evening, we looked at the issue of hard-heartedness in this statement. How could God harden someone's heart? People ask that question. Is that fair? Well, let me just tell you that sinners don't get to decide what's fair and what's unfair. God is sovereign in this matter. And to harden someone's heart doesn't mean that God has to get in there and tinker with it and turn it from soft to hard. No, no, no. Our hearts are already hardened against God. The only reason we know anything about him anyway is that he's dealing with us by his Holy Spirit. All God has to do is just back up a little bit. And this natural heart of ours, our sinful, wicked, disobedient heart. And so God's just going to cooperate with Pharaoh and let him become and help him become all that Pharaoh wanted to be in the first place. And besides that, this hardened heart of Pharaoh is going to set the stage and prepare a lot of people to do something they never thought they would do. Pharaoh never thought he would dismiss the children of Israel, but he did. The children of Israel thought they'd never go, but they did. And it took old Pharaoh's hardened heart to set the stage for all of that, to make it so bad in Israel they were dying to go and to leave, uh, so bad in Egypt that Israel was dying to go and so bad in Egypt that if you turned around from a hilltop and looked back across it, after all the disease and all the flies and all the frogs and all the water turned to blood and all the lice and all the hail and all the darkness and all the locusts, you'd say, man, what kind of war took place here? And the children of Israel said, you know, we don't want to be here. In fact, some of the Egyptians said, could we go with you? But God in his grace and his mercy issues warnings to the waiting. And if tonight you're waiting to do what you know you ought to do, you may be waiting to decide to trust Jesus. Why? You may be waiting to be reconciled in your family. Why? You may be waiting to get right with God. Why? You see, at the end of this, what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh, after Egypt was destroyed, finally did what he could have done earlier. And I know a lot of people who wait their life is spent before they finally get around to doing what God challenged them to do years earlier, to trust him, to obey him, to surrender to his lordship. So let's stand together. The scripture will be up on the screen so you can read it aloud with me as we think together this morning about this, uh, this evening about this issue. Warnings to the waiting. Warnings to the waiting. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 10, beginning with verse 27. And I'd like for you to follow along aloud with me. Let's read it aloud together. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get you from me. Take heed to yourself. See my face no more. For in that day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, You've spoken well. I will see your face again no more. Father, I pray, believing that in this service tonight, your Holy Spirit will open our hearts to you. Lord, it would all be for naught were it not for the fact that we have every reason to believe that tonight there will be some of us who will decide finally by your grace to do what you've been calling upon us to do all along. And I pray, Heavenly Father, you'll find us open to you 
so that we'll be, we will be, as Bill prayed a few moments ago, different people when we leave than we are right now. And I pray this, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Keep your Bible open. Six warnings to the waiting. We've already seen the first three of them, but let's look at them again first, uh, just very briefly so you'll know where we're headed. First of all, in this sequence of dealing with you, God's spoken to your heart. What happens first? God clearly and forcefully communicates his desire for your life. That's the first thing that's going to happen. God is going to make it clear. You see, tonight when I was talking about, you know, you may have something in your life God wants you to do and you haven't done it. I didn't have to convince you about that. You know what God's saying to your heart. God's spoken clearly. You know it's God. You know he's speaking to you. You know what it is. Pharaoh knew what, his, what the will of God was for his life. That was that he was to let the people go. Now, what's the key truth here? Here it is. The very fact that you're paying attention to this message, your attention to this message tonight is an indication that God has undertaken the responsibility of seeing that you hear the gospel. The very fact you're at church tonight, the very fact you're listening is an indication that God loves you so much, he wanted you to hear. You'll never be able to tell anybody, I didn't know that I was a sinful person. Because tonight you're hearing that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You'll never be able to say, I didn't know that a person who is a sinner would be judged to spend eternity in hell because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And you'll never be able to say, but I didn't know Jesus died on the cross to pay the wages of my sin and that God raised him up from the dead so that I could live with him because tonight you're hearing that he became sin for you, he who knew no sin, that you might be the, made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Christ suffered once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So how does it all start? It all starts just as it started with Pharaoh. God lets you know his desire for your life. Clearly, Forcefully, unequivocally, without question, God says, here's my plan for you. And tonight, if you're an unbeliever, if you've never trusted in Christ, God's plan is for you to be saved. If you're a person who's believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has other things for you. And he has some ideas. He has some things that he's shared with you about your devotional life, your spiritual life, your family life, your life at home, your life at work, your habits. He's sharing that with you. And so you know what it is. God is dealing with you about this evening. What if you reject that? Well, here's what happened next. You will witness a demonstration of God's sovereign power and authority. Now we see this early on in this whole passage of scripture, beginning with chapter five, continuing through chapter 11. First thing that Moses did when he went before Pharaoh was to hand him his calling card. What was his calling card? It was a rod that became a snake. And this was Moses' way of saying, you're not just messing with a nobody. I'm an ambassador from God. And God is running the show. God has all power. God has all authority. Now, Pharaoh had some magicians who figured out a way to make it seem like they could do that. But Moses' snake promptly ate up their snake and then became a rod again. And so as Moses sat there, you know, stood there, here was Aaron's rod, actually, that was thrown down at that moment. You know, I don't know, have you ever thought, did the rod burp after it was through, you know, holding that rod out there? He said, this just ate your snakes, burp. Uh, I don't know, but I can tell you this. Pharaoh had just seen a demonstration of God's sovereign power, God's authority. Now, what are we saying here tonight? We're saying something just very simple. 
And that is that if you reject what God has been speaking to your heart, God's been saying, trust me, dad, mom, young man, young lady, student, single person, grandmother, trust me, give me your life. Give me your life. If you say no, if you reject that, then God is going to arrange it so that you wake up to the fact that he's running the show. He's going to demonstrate his power for you. That's why it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that the natural things of this world so speak to us so powerfully that we can understand that there is a holy God just through the, just through the natural order of the universe. So that, it concludes in verse 20, we are without excuse. We know that there is a God. So God, first of all, says, this is my desire. If you reject that, then he says, let me tell you something. You're not just messing with Moses. You're not just messing with a preacher. You're not just messing with a wife or a, or a husband, somebody who's nagging you to make a decision. You're not just messing with somebody. This is God speaking to you. Well, what if you rationalize that? You know, Pharaoh could have said, well, look, my magicians can do that. That's no big deal. Now, what if you rationalize that? You say, well, this is just, you know, I've had a bad day. My gallbladder's overactive. You know, my thyroid's a little hyperactive here. And that's probably the reason I feel a little bit of conviction here, a little bit of uh, tinge of concern about this. You know, well, it's not, you know, I can explain this. This is evolution or this is whatever. I can explain all this stuff. So if you rationalize it, then God's going to go into third gear. He's going to turn it up a little bit. What's he going to do? He's going to bring the discipline of difficulties into your life. God will bring the discipline of difficulties into your life. And this is where Moses and Aaron in their confrontation with Pharaoh begin to do some things that makes life hard for everybody. And by the way, it was hard at this time for the Israelites as it was for the Egyptians. And I want to tell you something, dad, you reject the will of God. It's not going to be just hard on you. It's going to be hard on your family. Mom, you stay out of the will of God. It's not going to be hard for you. It's going to be hard for your family. Kids, it's not just your life you're living for. It's going to be hard on others. You don't just disobey God and think that you are living on a little island out here and nobody else is going to be affected by that. God is going to bring the discipline of difficulties into your life. What did, uh, what did Moses do as he confronted Pharaoh? And Pharaoh repeatedly hardened his heart and God cooperated. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, first of all, he turned the water to blood. I mean, all of it. Water in the cups, water in the jars, water in the buckets, water in the well, water in the river, water in the lake, water in the pond. All the water turned to blood so much that, that, that it stunk and the fish died in the water. And the Egyptians were digging holes out beside the river trying to get fresh water. Man, I mean, this was miserable. And Pharaoh said, well, let me think about this. But then he, he hardened his heart. And so what was the next thing? Well, there were the frogs. You know, can you imagine? I mean, frogs in the cupboard, frogs in the microwave, frogs in the bed, frogs in the, you know, every place you went, they're just frogs, frogs. You lift the trunk of your car to change the tire, a bunch of frogs in there, go to change the oil, frogs sitting on top of the can, frogs, every place. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough thing. I mean, living with frogs is, is, is not as bad as living with cats, but living with frogs is bad. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it is really a bad thing to have. And so Moses, you know, he says, uh, I can call these off if you'll let us go. And Pharaoh says, well, why don't you do that? And I'll, I'll uh, think about letting you go. And Moses says, when do you want this to happen? Can you imagine a Pharaoh, you know, what would you have said? Now! But Pharaoh said, well, give me another night with the frogs here. Let me just spend one more night with these things. And then, then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll uh, and that's what happened. But Pharaoh didn't let him go. And so then there was another plague. This was lice. And um, the magicians had had a heyday with the snakes and the blood and the frogs, but they couldn't handle the lice deal. <laughs> 
And if you read the scripture, they said, boy, this is the, even the magicians, they said, this is the finger of God. But what was happening? They were undergoing the discipline of difficulties. I can't tell you how many times I have stood, for instance, let, 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 let me give you an illustration. I stood in uh, Dallas, Texas, Harris County Hospital uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. I stood with a distraught father whose wife and children had just been in a horrible accident. They, they lived, but they were, they were in a horrible accident. Here's what he said to me. He said, Brother Tom, he said, I knew this is going to happen. <laughs> I said, what? He said, preacher, he said, you know, and I know that I am so out of the will of God. I'm, I'm, I've never trusted Jesus. I've lived like the devil. And he said, for weeks, it is as if I have known something like this was going to happen. Now, let me just tell you, God doesn't waste other people to teach you a lesson. But I will tell you this, difficulties will teach you a lesson. See, difficulties are called to worship. In fact, that's the key truth. See, difficulties present us with the opportunity to reach out in faith to God. Difficulties are really a call to worship. God's saying, trust me. Trust me. And so Pharaoh was getting another message. Well, if you reject this revelation of his desire, and if you rationalize this demonstration of his power, and if you refuse to listen and bow before God when you have difficulties, what's the next warning he gives to the, unwa uh, to the unwilling or to the waiting? Well, let's look at it. God will show you the distinction between believers and unbelievers. That's a warning. He's showing you the difference between somebody who believes in him and somebody who doesn't believe in him. See this verse that's on the screen up there, and I will put a division between my people and your people. You know where that's found? That's found in chapter 8, verse 23. That, that has to do when, when God begins dealing with the people of Israel. Now, there are these, all these plagues. For instance, after the lice come the flies. And after the flies come cattle disease. As a matter of fact, when the cattle disease struck, you can read about that in chapter 9, verse 7. It says, And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites died. And then after the cattle disease, there was hail and there was pestilence, and only Egyptians had that. The Israelites, it says, there was not any place. Except it said in the land of Goshen, which is where the Israelites were, it said it did not hail. There was no pestilence. God was showing Pharaoh a difference between believers and unbelievers. And then there was locusts. And then there was darkness, intense darkness. And as a matter of fact, in chapter 10, verse 23, it said, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now, 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 here's the point. I hope you'll write this down. If, if you've never trusted Christ, here's what I hope you'll realize. In spite of the obvious problems with hypocrisy in the church, there are hypocrites in the church, people who say one thing, do another. I admit it. Okay, in spite of all the problems with hypocrisy in the church, God generally allows unbelievers to witness the life of a true believer, right? 
I mean, you, you go to the hardest the person out here you've witnessed to, that, per, that person's blue in the face. You've tried to encourage that person to trust in Jesus. And, and one of the things they'll tell you is this. They'll say, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trust Jesus. You've got a bunch of hypocrites down there in the church. And usually I say to them, boy, you are not kidding, and I know more of them than you do. Because the church is not a sanctuary for perfect people. The church is a hospital. By the way, if, if hypocrites in the church is your big deal, let me remind you, if you're hiding, you've got to be smaller than who you're hiding behind. And if you're hiding behind hypocrites in the church, that makes you really small. I mean, they're hypocrites in the, in the law enforcement agencies, but you'll call the police when the time comes. They're hip, hypocrites in the fire department. But I tell you, when you need them, you call on the fire department. They're hypocrites in the medical profession. You need medicine, you call on the medical uh, people. Sure, there's hypo hypocrisy, but you know something? You, you can do all that kind of jawing you want about what's wrong with the church. Well, they're hypocrites. They did this. I went down there. I knew a friend. They treated them like dirt. You know, how could they believe this? They think they're the only ones. You know, they're, you know in spite of all that, you know what's going to happen? And God's going to do this because he loves you. He's going to stick under your nose somebody who's a real believer and you can't deny it. I mean, they're just, they're just, you just can't, you, you try, you do your best, man. You want to be so mad at Christians, but you know somebody who's a Christian who really loves you. And they're just honest and true and transparent. And what's God doing? God is showing you that there is a distinction between believers and unbelievers, right? And he'll do it. Maybe a family member, maybe a child. Could be a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter. Could be somebody that lives next door to you. In fact, generally, really, when I'm witnessing people, I'll ask them many times, do you know somebody who's really a Christian? And after they've told me oh, everything that's wrong with Christianity, they say, yeah, I know. now I know one person, I really think now he's a real true Christian. Well, tell me about it. Well, you know, he's just, he's not sinless or perfect or anything, but just an honest person, loves folks. He's very giving. He's a real Christian. You know what that is? That's a way God has of speaking to you. He's warning you. That's what he did for Pharaoh. That's what he did for Pharaoh. He said, Pharaoh, look, I, you know, these Israelites, they've suffered a little bit, but I'm going to do some things that are going to blow you away. And guess what? You're going to go over there and look over there, and their cattle are not going to be messed up. And their crops are not going to be all beat down with hail. And it's going to be dark in your house and it's going to be light in their house. How in the world is that going to figure out? How does sunlight get over there? That's mysterious. How does that work? Pharaoh, there's a difference between a believer and a non-believer. And by the way, if you're a believer in Christ, there's a difference between someone who's living as if Jesus is not really the Lord of their life and someone who's really surrendered to Christ. There really is. There's a difference. Because even now, you can probably think of somebody who, unlike you, is really a sold-out Christian. Boy, that man, that one man there, they really love. He loves, she loves Jesus. Some of y'all here tonight, you say, you know, I've got a praying mama. She was really a Christian. I've got a praying daughter or son. I've got a praying husband or a praying wife. Really Christian, not perfect, don't pretend to be perfect. But you know something? I really see it. God's made a difference in their life when they trusted in Jesus. That's a warning to the waiting. 
Well, suppose you resist that. Suppose you say, big deal. That's just life. That's just the way that life is. What does God do next? Well, let's look at it. What's going to do? What's he going to do? God is going to come to you, and God will make it plain to you that your heart is devoured by unbelief. There suddenly come a moment in your life where you realize you have fallen into the devil's trap and your heart is devoured by unbelief. Do you know that when Pharaoh spit these words out at Moses, he had a life that was a mess. You see, you get the impression sometimes, you know, if you don't read it very carefully, you get the impression that Pharaoh was Mr. Cool, that Pharaoh was Mr. Popular, that Pharaoh had all the Egyptians under his thumb, and that everybody thought Pharaoh was wonderful. Uh -uh. No, you haven't read the Scripture right. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says by this point, I mean, there had been so many plagues, so much sickness, so much stuff happening in, is in Egypt. By this point, Moses was a hero with the Egyptians and the Israelites. And Pharaoh's magicians had abandoned them. They had left during the boil episode. Man, they, they, they didn't know how to handle the boils. And Pharaoh's servants were begging him. In fact, you can read in the scripture, why are you going to let this man destroy the country? Pharaoh was alone with his old, hard, hard heart. And what did he say? He said, I want to tell you this. You're not going to see my face again. In the day that you see me again, you'll die. Moses said, Pharaoh, you're right about part of that. I won't see you again. Goodbye. And he gathered up his robes and he walked out. And don't you know that in that palace, old Pharaoh felt so alone. And all of a sudden he realized, unlike my servants, unlike my magicians, unlike these Israelites over here, my heart is hard. It is devoured by unbelief. And even if I wanted to believe, I couldn't believe because you don't turn faith off and on with a switch. Faith is a gift from God. And if he doesn't give it, you haven't got it. Boy, what a hard thing. What a hard place for a mom or a dad a husband, a wife, a young man, young lady, for any of us. What a hard place for us to be. Here's the truth. Did you know that those who practice resisting God will finally awaken to the sad reality that only God can change their heart. They cannot change their heart. I wish I could tell you that all these men, for instance, I've talked to over the years that said, Preacher, one day I'm going to get saved. I wish I could tell you that one day they got saved. That's rare. I remember during Starlight here some years ago, sweet lady, member of our church, since deceased herself, called me, said, Brother Tom, would you go see my husband? Said he's, uh, he's had another heart episode and he's lying up in Midwest City Hospital. 
And I thought, as I was driving over there, I thought, you know, I have witnessed to that man. I have begged him to trust in Jesus. He's always said, preacher, I'm going to do that one day. Yes, sir, one of these days, preacher, I'm going to give my heart. You just wait and see, preacher. You'll be right there, and I'll give my heart to Jesus. I went up there to that uh, intensive care unit. Then it was on the third floor of Midwest City Hospital. It's where they built that new wing. And I walked in that room, and there he was, all that apparatus hooked up to him, and he was uh, conscious, he could talk. And I stood at the end of his bed, and I called him by his name. And I said, uh, your wife's asked me to come over here and talk to you. And I want to ask you one more time. She was right over there beside his right arm. I want to ask you one more time. Wouldn't you like to trust in Jesus as your Savior? And he said, not now, Brother Tom. I'm going to, but not now. I've got a lot of things on my mind right now. In less than an hour, he was dead. You see, you just don't, you just don't start believing when you want to. You don't just mess around and have your life and one day say, okay, I think I'll be a Christian. Uh-uh. God calls you. God warns you. He shows you his will and you resist it. He demonstrates his power and you rationalize it away. He takes you through the discipline of difficulties and you still reject that. He shows you there is a difference between believers and unbelievers. Puts a living on his illustration under your nose. And you reject that. And all of a sudden, you become as aware as Pharaoh must have been aware that your heart has been devoured by unbelief. And you can't just up and believe Jesus. If you want your life to be changed, God's going to have to do something because you can't change it. It would only be an act of his mercy, only an act of his grace because you are not God's God. God is your God. You don't tell him what to do. He does what he says he'll do. He's not your puppet. He's not a figment of your imagination. He's not the God you dreamed up. You have no way of knowing how big God is. And all of a sudden you become aware, my heart has been devoured by unbelief. Well, what if you get to that point and you don't call on God? What if you get to that point? You just wake up and say like I've had men say to me, Brother Tom, if I could believe, I would. Earlier in their life, they said, yeah, I know I ought to believe, but I don't want to. Now it's, if I could believe, I would. If I could trust Jesus like you and believe it just like you, hey, if I could do that, I would. But all of a sudden, you realize you, you can't. Well, what if you just keep on rebelling against God? What if you just refuse to call out and say, God, I need your mercy. God, I need your grace. God, I've got this old, hard, sinful heart. What if you don't respond to God in that fashion? Well, here's the sixth warning. God will confront you with the sobering reality of death. God will confront you with the sobering reality of death. I wish I had time to read to you all of chapter 11. It's not that long, really. That's where it tells you how Moses was so popular in all the land of Egypt. But Moses said to Pharaoh... God's going to move through this land and death is going to touch every home. 
and this shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt. And you know, and I know, it happened just as Moses prophesied. Now, I hope if you've not listened to anything else I've said this evening, I hope you'll listen to this. Did you know that the result of continued waiting to trust the Lord is death? I'm not talking about just physical death. That's just part of it. It is eternal separation from God and all that is godly. The wages of sin is death. And you just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And at the end of that decision, at the end of that road, is an eternity of separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. You say, well, I don't think God... No, this is not up for your vote. This is what God has said. Well, I don't believe that make a difference whether you believe it or not. This is what God has said. Now, let me just speak to two issues here. And I hope God will cause you to be riveted in attention for these final moments. In the first place, my appeal tonight is to any person in this auditorium, whatever your age, even if you're a member of this church, your name is on the church roll or some other church, but God has been speaking to your heart and you know that what you've been doing has been playing a game. And you may be religious, but you know in the depths of your heart that if you were to die today, you'd go to hell. Because you see, the issue is not saying some prayer after somebody. It is with the heart that we believe and then with the mouth that we confess. But you can confess something with the mouth that you haven't believed with the heart. And you're sitting here tonight and you say, man, I've prayed a prayer, I've done this, I've done that. But, but in your heart, you do not have the confidence that if you died, you'd go to heaven. When we stand and we begin singing in a few moments, the invitation is for you. You've heard these warnings. You say, you know, preacher, as you were preaching that, I'll tell you, I've been through every one of those experiences. Some of you can say, I know what God wants. I know God is powerful. I've gone through difficulties. I thought, you know, be sure nice to be saved. I've, I've seen face-to-face somebody who's a real believer in you, and I know that there is a difference in that person, and I have become aware that I, my heart is filled with unbelief. I get up every day thinking I'm going to obey God today, and I end the day by saying this day was spent in disobedience. And this invitation is to you to let God change your heart, to do something Pharaoh never did, to call upon God for his grace and his mercy. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the scripture says, shall be saved. Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me. These are Jesus' words. What does that person receive? Everlasting life. And I want to encourage you when we stand in a few moments, you come find a counselor here at the front and say, tonight, I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm calling out on God. I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm not going to burn my life toward the devil and blow the little wisp of smoke toward God. I don't even have that certainty. I know I don't get to write the script of my death time. And so tonight, while there is time, I will wait no longer. And Lord, I'm calling on you. Just tell a counselor, look, I'm 
trusting Jesus or I'm calling on Jesus tonight. And before you leave this place, you can know that you have forgiveness and cleansing of sin, abundant life, eternal life, because Jesus died for sinners like you and me. Jesus was raised from the grave. He is alive, having paid for our sin. And if you will trust him, he is faithful to all those who call upon him. And the word of faith is near you, even in your mouth. So why don't you make up your mind tonight that when we stand, teenager, student, mom, dad, young man, young lady, you say, this would be a little bit embarrassing. I'm supposed to be Mr. Cool. Forget it. Don't be so worried about what other people think that you don't realize the importance of what God thinks. It's, nobody in this auditorium gets to vote on whether you go to heaven. You can be the best person in your town and win an election, but that didn't get you into heaven. The issue is what does God know and what do you know in your heart? And I would encourage you to come tonight. Quit playing a game. Quit being Mr. Cool, Miss Cool. You say, well, my kids, my family, somebody else, somebody else going to be this. Hey, truth of the matter is you probably don't have them fooled anyway. The second thing about that is what difference does it make? We're talking about eternity. We're not talking about shooting bottle rockets. We're talking about an eternity that you're going to spend one day in heaven or hell. But now listen, the invitation is also for people who have trusted in Jesus to whom the Lord has been speaking at great lengths about certain issues. And here's what you've done. You said, but it's such a little thing. It may just be a habit, just an obnoxious habit. Maybe something is hurting you physically, something in your thoughts, something. It's just a silly little thing, but you know that it would be more pleasing to God to put it down. God's spoken to your heart. Or maybe it's some ministry. God wants you to undertake it. He wants you to do it. And you know it would be pleasing to God if you would do it. But you just said, no, 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 no. Don't forget the sobering reality of death for the believer. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. David, King David, the psalmist, said, Lord, keep me back from presumptuous sin. Let me not commit the great transgression. What was the great transgression? Was it adultery? Was it murder? No. It was presumptuous sin, sin that presumes on the love and mercy of God and says, God, I'm your kid. You hang around a little bit, and then I might obey you. And the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that there is a sin for the believer that is called the sin unto death. What does that mean? What sin is that? Oh, it's not any sin. It's the sinful attitude toward any sin. It's an attitude, it's an in-your-face God attitude about any sin you've got. I'm going to do this, I'm going to keep doing it, it is my sin. I'm going to do this till hell freezes over. Because I've trusted Jesus and I'm in this church. And God says, you may be saved, but it just might be better because of the testimony you're leaving for me to take you off this planet.
there is a sin, the Scripture says, which is for the believer called the sin unto death. And so you just cruise along tonight, sit in this service, stand and sing the invitation hymn, slouch around a little bit, knowing that in your heart there are things God's been addressing for years, refusing to get to this altar, refusing to give it up for God. And you'll say, that, that's just a little thing. But I want to tell you something. A little thing can become a really big thing. when you start presuming upon the love of God. He's not in your box that you've built that you can open the lid and take him out, make him give you good stuff, and then put him back in when you're through. He is a holy, righteous, sovereign God of the universe who says to you tonight, put it down. Give it up. Say yes. Surrender. And it just remains to be seen, doesn't it, what you'll do before this service is over. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Father, I pray, believing, trusting that your Holy Spirit is in this place tonight. Lord, I pray that you'll deal with each one of us at the depths of our heart. Lord, for any person here tonight who has never received you as Savior of his life or of her life, Lord, I want to pray specifically for that person. Lord, without knowing, in most cases, even the individuals, I pray, Lord, I intercede. I pray that tonight, just the awareness that these warnings are serious warnings would cause a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a young man, a young lady to come to this altar and say, I want to give my heart to Jesus, a friend, a fellow worker a church member who's been playing a game to come to this altar and find a counselor and say, tonight, I'm calling upon the Lord to save me. Father, I pray you'd put it in that person's heart. I pray that that individual, whoever, all those individuals would not wait a moment that when we stand and pray and when our praise singers begin singing, they just step to the aisle, just make their way forward and just tell a counselor, I'm calling on the Lord tonight. But then, Lord, there are among us. We look at our own heart, believers in you. You paid for sin, the same sin that we cherish, that we nurture, that we use to presume against you. You died because of that on the cross of Calvary. And it's become our hobby. It's become our habit. It's become our pattern. We call ourselves your children. And yet we have trophies in our wicked hearts of the very things that put you on the cross. Lord, I pray tonight that every believer in Christ who is under conviction of sin would come and lay it down at your feet tonight and say, I will presume upon God no longer. I hear these warnings to the waiting. I want to wait no longer. I give it up. There is nothing about this sin. It may be sweet when I taste it, but when it goes into my stomach, as it says in the book of Proverbs, it is bitter, and this is creating a bitterness in my relationship with you, dear Lord. I don't want it. I'm coming tonight, and on bent knee, I ask you, forgive, cleanse, empower me to live under your lordship. Lord, bring to this altar those who will join this church, those who will say yes to you. I pray in your name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Listen, friend, we're going to stand in a few moments. The moment we stand, we're going to begin singing, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back.
For some, that's very foreboding, isn't it? I make this decision. No turning back, but that's the way it is when you decide to follow Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to come. You determine that tonight you're going to say yes to God tonight. For some of you, that's joining the church. I want to ask those who were baptized tonight and others who joined perhaps this morning to come and be seated over here where it says seating for new members down here to your right so we can introduce you. Others, I'm going to ask you to come as prayer warriors. Come find a counselor. Come kneel at this altar. If you're joining the church, tell a counselor, we want to join. I want to join the church. Your invitation to say yes to God. Won't you do that? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Let's stand together. And Father, I pray that this invitation now given to you will be one in which we experience a harvest. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's